Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Uh, and there are times we can wonder if following Jesus is a good thing. We can wonder if his leadership is good. Because if we didn't realize it when we decided first to follow Jesus, soon we discover that following Jesus, while it is joyful, it is. It's life-changing. It is, it is true. It also makes life more complicated. Did you realize that? How long did it take you to realize that? Following Jesus can actually make your life increasingly difficult. In fact, following Jesus can lead you into suffering. It's no coincidence that Jesus compares following him to carrying the cross of your own execution. That's not a soft sell, friends. And yes, that's what Jesus said. And when we're in the middle of a difficult moment or a difficult season in our lives, we can wonder, what's good about your leadership again? Especially when that suffering is a direct result of following him or choosing a life after him, which it will. We will. We will experience that kind of suffering. And so the question comes up, what's good about Jesus' leadership? Because if we're going to follow Jesus into ways that do lead to our suffering, we'd better be convinced along the way that Jesus really is good, right? We'd better be sure that we can trust his leadership, That despite the ridicule we might receive or the relationships that we may strain, Jesus is leading us to life, not to death. He is leading us to more flourishing, not ultimately to failure. However grim it may look when we're in the moment. We need to know, we need to trust, we need to remember that Jesus' leadership really is good and hold on to that, especially when times are dark, times are rough. But how does Jesus show us that? How does he show us that his leadership is good, even in the midst of pressures and demands and conflicts and struggles? And not just good in some sort of future thing, like life is grim, but it'll get better someday, but rather that the goodness of his leadership is something we can experience daily, regularly, even in the middle of hard times. Have you ever asked that question? Today, Luke's passage uh, that we're looking at, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, is going to lead us to see how good Jesus is and how his goodness not only can be trusted but relied upon in the now but also in the future. So here we are in Luke's gospel. We're learning as Jesus' apprentices. That's why we've cast this um, exploration of Luke as a master class where we're just learning as apprentices of Jesus how to follow him. We're watching his example. We're listening to his teaching. We're learning from these stories. What does it mean for me to be an obedient follower of Jesus, an apprentice, more proficient in his kingdom trade? Today, we're looking at a pair of stories, and you'll see why we're looking at the pair together. They both highlight how good, how truly good Jesus' leadership is, 
And they do it, very interestingly, through the lens of one of the most central practices of the Jewish people, and that is the practice of weekly Sabbath-keeping. So before we work through those two little stories, a little reminder, I think, would be helpful for us. What exactly is Sabbath day? What's it all about? What's it for? That'll be helpful. The Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week. That is, it's Saturday, not Sunday. I clarify that for some of you who grew up thinking the Sabbath was Sunday. It wasn't. Never was. Sabbath was Saturday, the seventh day of the week, and it was like the capstone of the creation week in Genesis. Remember, if you have heard it before, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work of creation, right? And the Sabbath, the seventh day of rest, was a gift that Yahweh, God, gave to his people right after he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. Having known nothing but back-breaking, dehumanizing labor day after day after day after day with never a day off, God took pains to create a new rhythm of life for his newly rescued people. He shifted them over to this radical idea of a six-day work week. And we really do forget how unique, how novel, how truly amazing that was. I mean, a whole day of rest. One whole day, people. You should be just cracking out with applause right now if you had just come out of Egypt as a slave. One day out of seven to celebrate God's grace and goodness, to enjoy their freedom as his beloved kids. Imagine that, a whole day when you don't have to work. A day where you can truly rest, and it just keeps coming around. Week after week after week, you keep getting one. As you can see through the Jewish Hebrew scriptures, keeping the Sabbath day holy was one of the primary ways that God kept his people healthy. Really important to understand that. Keeping the Sabbath day holy was how God kept his people healthy. Because Sabbath keeping was always, always, always about people keeping. First and foremost. That God wanted his people to be free, to stay free, to not go back into slavery. And keeping this day was essential to their freedom, their ongoing life as the freed people of God. Keeping Sabbath was so important, in fact, that it got enshrined as one of the ten central commands that God gave to his people. Just think about that. Just step back for a moment. I know for some of you it's like old hat. Of course it's in there. We've heard it before. But just step back for a moment and realize Sabbath keeping was right in there with no other gods and don't kill people. That's how much God wanted people to have a day off. That's a pretty big deal. The fourth commandment reads like this in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God's work week became a prototype 
for human images. That we were to mimic God's weekly rhythm in our weekly rhythm. Now, over in the book of Deuteronomy, that's the fifth book in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are repeated once more, this time for the next generation. And the reason, it's very interesting, the reason for Sabbath-keeping here, it shifts to their new status as freed people. So after giving the exact same command about keeping the Sabbath holy, the reason offered is this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. It is very, very important that we remember that the Sabbath was and is a gift that God gave to his people designed to keep them healthy, holy, and whole. But as we read, of course, the story of God's people, we do see that the Sabbath day was often forgotten, often neglected to their harm. And by the time of Jesus, Sabbath keeping had really become much more of a burden to bear than a gift to enjoy. But as is true in many things, abuse does not cancel use, right? Just because something's abused doesn't mean you toss it out. And Jesus shows us how whatever the abuses of Sabbath had been and were taking place in his day, the right use of Sabbath is a gift of God to his people, designed for their fullness and for their wholeness. And so, today, as apprentices of Jesus, God wants us to keep, to keep us full and whole, living in freedom and grace. And one of the ways he does that is by helping us practice what you could say is a, a Jesus-oriented practice of Sabbath in our lives, where we regularly stop and receive restoration through life with Jesus. And so with all that in mind, let's listen to the Luke stories today. Here we go. Luke chapter 6, 1 to 11. It's on the screen. Follow along in your Bibles or on your phones or just listen. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Two Sabbath stories back to back, posing the same essential question, what's lawful on the Sabbath? But really, that question of what's lawful goes to a deeper question, that is, what's the Sabbath for anyway? 
And Jesus answers this question, revealing just how good his leadership is in our lives. Let's just dig into these stories a little bit deeper. In the first conflict, the question is an accusation, right? We all know that kind of question. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Because the disciples are picking grain as they walk. And, 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 and it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a funny image. It's like you're walking innocently through a field. I was raised in a farm. And, uh, you know, we'd pick the wheat and rub it in our hands and eat it too. I get the image. But just imagine you're walking through a field of grain and, and, and you're rubbing some grains. And then up pops some religious guys. You know, I take it. And I just think that's funny. They're lurking around. I don't know if they're bent over in the, in the grain, waiting and watching. But the moment they see these boys having a, a bit of grain, it's like, that! they just pop up. Lawbreakers! You know? Ah! And they're just really losing it on them. Now, these Pharisees, we know a little bit about them. They're very, very particular fellows, very concerned about the law, very concerned that people be keeping it. And so any lawbreakers were, you know, well, they knew it. They were also so concerned about the law that they, they were known to have created what's sometimes been termed fence laws. That is, here's the law you can't break, and so let's create some extra laws that keep people away from that. So, you know, uh, you don't want your kids to play in the streets? Let's just keep them in the house, you know? Or in this case, okay, we know that you're not supposed to work, like, harvesting your grain on the Sabbath, so let's make it so that even picking a grain, uh, you know, uh, a few heads and rubbing them, that's work too. That way, we'll never even get close to breaking the real law. Maybe that is the kind of thing that's going on here. Maybe. Uh, What's interesting, though, is Jesus' response to their accusation that what they're doing is unlawful on the Sabbath. Because Jesus could have quibbled with them, right? He could have said, no, come come on. My guys aren't working. They're not breaking the law. Look at them. Where's the, they don't have any baskets around here. They're not carrying sickles. I mean, they're just rubbing the grain together in their hands. They're having a light snack while we're out for our Shabbat stroll, you know? Back off, boys. You're, you know, you're, you're making too much of this. He could have said that, but he didn't. You know, Jesus could have argued with the Pharisees saying, you're adding to the law. You're, you've got these extra layers of legalism. You're too literal of interpretation of the law. Do you see how he could have done that? I mean, isn't that how most of us respond when we've been accused of doing something wrong? We marshal all our defenses to say, no, what we were doing was not wrong. Right? Isn't that what you do? Jesus doesn't do that. And I think this is fascinating. Rather than arguing that what they are doing is actually lawful, Jesus agrees with them. He says, you're right. What they're doing is unlawful. Did you see that in the story? What Jesus does here is he reaches back to the history of, of, of King David in 1 Samuel 21. Read it sometimes. It's a famous story when David and his companions are on the run from the maniacal King Saul, his father-in-law, who's trying to kill him. And in that story, David and his companions ate this special consecrated bread that was only permitted by law for the priests to eat. And in doing so, Jesus says, David broke the law. But hey, he had good reason because he was hungry. That's what Jesus argues here. And you got to admit at that moment, you kind of go, what, Jesus, huh? What are you saying exactly? And then Jesus drives home this astonishing storied response 
by claiming absolute authority over the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man is a phrase that rings odd to our ears. I hope you don't walk around work referring to yourself as that. I mean, not just because this is the title Jesus used, but it's odd to refer to yourself in the third person to our ears. Tom doesn't like that. <laughs> or, you know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the preacher at Erickson Covenant Church does not approve, or whatever. Um, but Jesus would use this title for good reason, because he's pulling from their story. It was one of the favorite Um, titles that Jesus used to refer to himself is rooted in Daniel 7, but other key Hebrew scriptures where the son of man is given a complete authority to rule over heaven and earth and given a kingdom that will never end. And it's just big, big deal. And apparently is given authority even over the very nature of time and the law of God. So when Jesus said the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's actually pushing back and saying, I am the one who defines what is lawful and what is not. I am the one who determines what is right and what is necessary. I express, Jesus said, in my very actions, the full purpose and the original intent of God's holy Sabbath. Jesus claims here to have full authority over the law. Not just its interpretation and its meanings, but its very practice, its implications, its, its reach including even the moments when it could be set aside because there's a greater need for the sake of love or the sake of of, of some hurt that needs to be healed. Friends, this is astronomical. This is a mind-blowing claim that Jesus was making here to be Lord of the Sabbath. But he just keeps going because in the second Sabbath conflict, where the setting has shifted now from hunger in a field to a healing in a synagogue, we're going to see it become even clearer. The attitude of Jesus' enemies now are completely exposed. They're actively opposed to Jesus. They were lurking in the field before, but now they're like lurking in the local synagogue where the Jewish people would gather to listen to the Torah being read. And Jesus was actively teaching. And in this case, they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Notice that? The super receptive crowd on that Sabbath morning, right? And what's so amazing about it, when you think about it, What's so amazing is that these guys already have become so desensitized to Jesus' works of healing, so desensitized to it, that they're watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, like it's some sort of bad thing. Some sort of unlawful work being done here, instead of what it truly was, was an amazing act of God. I mean, stepping back for a moment, while I think they were quibbling, I can get the picking the grain thing. I mean, but healing on a Sabbath, it really does reveal the state of their hearts. And so watching Jesus closely, but saying nothing at all, Jesus is the one who asks the question in this final story. Uh, standing the man up with a shriveled hand in front of everybody so they can see, Jesus asks his opponents, what's lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, save life or destroy it? It's a powerful question that the Lord of the Sabbath is now asking. You see what he's asking? He's making them decide. What's the Sabbath for? What's it for? Really and truly, what is today all about? 
What is this gift that God has given us for? Is it for good or evil? Is it for salvation or destruction? What is the purpose and the intent of the Sabbath that's given to us by Yahweh? And with that purpose in mind, how are we best to keep it? This is the question Jesus is asking them. Are we able to truly keep Sabbath without also seeking to keep each other? To help, to heal, and to restore. Stony silence. Jesus does not receive a verbal answer to the question. His enemies refuse it. But they do most certainly answer his question, don't they? Jesus heals the man, and what do his enemies do? They're furious, and they begin discuss, to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus, and it ain't throw a party for him. Other gospels are really clear. They go out and plot his death. Their actions are their answer to his question. Do you see that? With their actions, they answer. Jesus, the Sabbath is for doing evil. That's the answer they give. Keeping the Sabbath holy means destroying life. That's how they answer. Because they go out, and on that very Sabbath day, they plot Jesus' ruin. Two Sabbath stories. Let's pull it all together. How do these two stories help us answer our question, what's good about Jesus' leadership? Because Jesus, through his teaching, through his actions, he's revealing how he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And what's the Sabbath for? As I have already been saying, in complete agreement with his Father, Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, shows us that the Sabbath has always been for the good of people. That the very origin and purpose of this special day was about people-keeping. And actually, if you read it, animal-keeping too, apparently. You weren't even allowed to work your donkey on the Sabbath, friends. Give that donkey a break. You can see how this original commands includes everything and everyone. In these two stories, Jesus reveals that just as Sabbath was intended to foster the fullness and the wholeness of God's people, the hungry being fed and the hurt being healed, Jesus keeps Sabbath by now becoming the very source of Sabbath rest for his followers. That it is through Jesus that we now receive fullness and wholeness. You know, religion and religious people have an uncanny knack for taking God's good gifts and turning them into rank poison. Have you noticed that? And so it should come as absolutely no surprise that the gift of Sabbath rest became a day of oppressive knots versus a day of glorious yeses, cans. We get to. Through Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, we now see God's heart expressed for people, for people who are hungry, for people who are hurt. His desire that people should be free and full and healed and whole, that through Jesus, the gift of true rest is not only enjoyed, but it becomes this luxurious, life-giving experience that the Sabbath, which was always for our good, through Jesus now, we see with fresh eyes how God has always designed us to flourish and for his flourishing to be realized in us. So back to our opening question, can we trust Jesus' leadership in, you know, that his leadership is truly good, especially when we're experiencing difficulty or strain as a direct result of following him? 
the first story raises the question of emptiness for us, of hunger, of the places in our souls or our lives where we feel like we lack. We can ask the question, how am I hungry? What is it that is in me that is missing? And we can come to Jesus to receive fullness. We can recognize that it is Jesus who is the one who can truly meet and satisfy our deepest hunger. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Sabbath, as in pausing, stopping, resting, is often absolutely essential for us to even recognize that we are hungry. Because what happens is, We often fill that emptiness or that void or that lack in our lives with yet another thing that distracts us, some other busyness. So we add hurry and we add another uh, commitment and we go places and we're running around because that emptiness, that lack, that insatiable thing that needs to be filled, we end up looking for other things to fill it. And it's only until we can truly pause that we realize we've been acting out of a void. We've been so hungry or so empty that we've been looking for all these other things to satisfy. And in that moment of pause, that moment of Sabbath, we can realize that it's only Jesus who can truly meet that hunger. The second story invites us to consider the places we might be shriveled or diminished. The places where we've been hurt or harmed. The wounds we've been carrying from things that people have done to us or things we've done to ourselves or things that frankly just happened in life, things we were born with. But in this second story, we're invited to ask, where am I shriveled? And to look to Jesus to be our healer, to look to Jesus to be our strength, to look to Jesus to be our source of wholeness and vitality. But again, the truth is we live in a hurry-sick culture where we are often so frantic and so over-busy that though we can experience heartaches and though we can be experiencing places where harm or hurt has not been healed, we add yet another layer of busyness, something else to drown that out, never pausing to notice that we're living out of a place that is shriveled and diminished. A place where, when we are ready, Jesus wants to heal. Some of that heartache we experience because of relationships that have been broken. Sometimes we have, uh, particular in our own stories, I know, we have places where um, the hurt is so deep we can hardly acknowledge it ourselves. Sometimes we've experienced pushback and hurt because of choices we've made, like I've said earlier, to follow Jesus. To say no to certain things and yes to other things. And whether it's a family member, a spouse, a friendship group, who maybe they haven't overtly said, uh, I don't want to hear that from you, but they just have started to avoid you or look down on you or turn away. Sometimes we can notice the big ways that following Jesus can bring suffering into our lives, but sometimes there's just the daily choices to serve others who don't really notice and don't really thank us or to forgive others who don't seem to deserve it or seem to care that following Jesus can be a hard road And in the midst of all that, the Lord of the Sabbath invites us into a place of rest so that we can actually look to him with our hunger and look to him 
with our hurt. That the Lord of the Sabbath wants to lead us to fullness and to wholeness. There's that famous verse we often use at the end of Matthew chapter 11. You remember it? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the source of rest. He's the one who fulfills and completes and and is the perfect expression of God's intent for Sabbath all along. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't also want us to press pause to enjoy time with him, to actually have a pattern in our lives where we actually say, I'm not going to work today, whatever that work might be for you. That on this day with Jesus, I'm going to come to him with my hunger. I'm going to come to him with my hurt. And I'm going to let him be my fullness and my wholeness. And it's in that practice, in that place with Jesus, that we begin to experience the full goodness of Jesus' leadership in our lives. Because what's amazing about that, coming to Jesus with those things, is life can still be very hard. Decisions you've made to follow Jesus can still bear a sharp edge. We know this. But in the midst of our daily lives, we follow a Savior, a Lord, who invites us into periods, times, regular rhythms of rest, where he actually fills us up, where he actually binds us up, so that we can continue to follow him, even when times are rough. That's how good the leadership of Jesus is. That's how much we can trust him. Well, how do we apply this to our lives as his apprentices? Sitting and listening is not good enough. We take the truth of Jesus and we say, how do I live this out? The first application for today is fairly obvious. I invite you to try practicing a Jesus-oriented Sabbath. That you in your own lives, look at your schedule and ask yourself, where am I taking time off? And I don't just mean a day off, but I mean a day where I'm actually able to be Um, I'm able to celebrate. I'm able to enjoy the gifts of creation, the gifts of community, the gifts that God has placed in my lives. I'm able to come to Jesus with the places that I'm feeling hungry and empty. I'm able to come to Jesus with where I'm feeling hurt. And actually, I'm able to paint, or I'm able to sing, or I'm able to go for a hike, or I'm able to get together with friends. I'm able to play something I love to play or go somewhere I love to go and just celebrate the gift that Jesus is is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who brings us wholeness and fullness. And so I encourage you to think through, and this is especially challenged for those of us who are frantic people, whose minds never shut off. Anyone? How many of you have already thought of your to-do list as I've been preaching because I'm going on and on? How many of you? The to-do list already went through your mind. I've got to do this today. Right? I know. We can live such frantic, frenetic lives, busy lives in a hurry-sick culture. And Jesus actually invites us to slow down. That's really a practical thing here. I'm not, it's not just theoretical. It's like a practical application where Jesus says, slow it down. Claus told me across the fence last week, sometimes we need to work on our no muscle And then he went to Ethiopia. But nonetheless, 
We've got to learn to say no to some things. We've got we've to actually look at our lives and say, wow, I am just go, 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 go. And yes, some of us live in really pressured times. Some of have got little kids. I get all that. But to ask yourself, where is the Sabbath in here? Where's the rest? Where's the moments of joy and freedom and fullness where I'm able to be in the presence of those I love, be in the presence of the creation God has placed around us, be in the presence of Jesus, my Lord, and receive fullness from him. Where is that? You need it. And Jesus wants to lead us into that, this life-giving, joy-filled experience that in the midst of tough times, we can receive all that we need for him. So that's my application there. Practice a Jesus-oriented Sabbath. It's a gift from God. The second application is where I shoehorn into the scripture text your need to join a connect group. Just like I did last week. Friends, in this apprenticeship life with Jesus, we have got to figure it out together. I talked last week uh, about how we have this cultural assumption that we can grow experience together, or experience uh, spiritual flourishing. Uh, We can learn about God. We can discover what it means to follow Jesus all on our own. And we can't. It's it's wrong. It's, 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 uh, It's a lie, actually. And one of the key ways that we can together figure out even what it means to flourish, what it means to receive this uh, fullness and wholeness that we've been talking about with with practicing a a Jesus-oriented Sabbath, we need to figure that out together. And being part of a connect group here at the Erickson Covenant Church this fall, we have these short-term small groups. You sign up for one for the fall, and it ends in December, and then there'll be more to sign up for in January, are ways that we can get together and begin to get around God's Word to begin to pray together, to get to know one another, but also together begin to ask, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus together? What does it mean for us to come to him with our hunger and our hurts? And so I am encouraging you, practically speaking, one of the key ways that we can continue to pursue Jesus as his apprentices is by joining connect groups this fall, which, as you were already told, you can do so at the table at the back, but also online. So friends, Jesus wants to bring wholeness and fullness into our lives. And I don't know where exactly that hits for you, but I know that each and every one of us, if we are not paying attention and letting the Holy Spirit reveal that to us, we can operate out of a void, out of a hurt, in ways that are unconscious and will not lead us to life. The invitation today is for us to come to Jesus and let him be our fullness. Let him make us whole. And that's our desire today. Would you pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Lord, our Lord of true rest. Thank you for inviting us to come to you if we are weary and heavy laden, which so many of us are, to come to you. And your promise is that you will give us rest. May we be a people receiving fullness and wholeness from you, are able to operate from a place of rest, a place of freedom, a place of grace. We look to you, Jesus, to lead us into that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. 
For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.